Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. The Lionesses hit Austria for seven on Friday and it was a brilliant debut for Grace Clinton. We're here with our thoughts on England's free scoring performance while Rachel brings the latest vibes update from the camp out in Marbella. Uh, Serena Wiegmann has also brought some of the under-23s into the senior setup for training. So who are the rising stars you should be looking out for in the run-up to Euro 2025? We give our picks. And finally, Spain have qualified for the Olympics for the very first time. But what is going on with Alexia Puteas? Rach, I'm not going to lie. Before you went away to Marbella, I felt very, very jealous that you were heading out to a sunny country, going to get an awesome tan, going to go out, watch the Lionesses for the first time in 2024. I tuned in on Friday in Brighton. I'll come to my moment of the weekend in a second uh, to see the rain flooding the pitch um i've got to say i did feel a little bit smug i'm really sorry i apologize in advance uh, i love that you thought i was going to get a really good tan in a week <laughs> that's the best bit out of that whole intro <laughs> but i just felt Takes quite good i felt quite um I, I felt quite that i wasn't gonna you know i wasn't gonna get massive fomo from the weekend that was the fear wasn't it you sort of you know especially like you're gonna be out there with the lionesses and the under 23 squad a kind of a chance to see this incredible squad rotation that we'll get into in a little bit later but yeah i mean what's been the kind of highlight of the of the weekend out in marbs for you uh, well i was gonna pick a different i'll tell you my highlight of marbs but let's go my general highlight yeah. because i just caught it before we started recording this pod and it was the goal from Myra Paleo to win uh, for Mexico to win against the United States. I mean, her goal is actually insane. Um, they beat the United States 2-0. And Mexico is the first CONCACAF team to defeat the US on American soil since Canada in 2000. 2000. There's no other years added on to that. The US was unbeaten in 80 straight home matches against CONCACAF opposition, winning 78 and drawing two. I was 10 the last time that happened <laughs> just to put that in perspective i we didn't even have sky then i don't think no. i didn't even have a mobile phone when that last happened actually yeah so um yeah i think i got a nokia 3310 actually when i was 11 so yeah that is that is intra- that's the most shocking statistic out of all of that and yeah. um, so i had to pick that i had to pick that my marbs moment was um maybe the first night when we came in uh got ourselves stored in an airbnb went straight to a media day came back and then went down for dinner and when we hit the seafront like it was the first time getting down to the seafront it was just the most glorious sunset i think i've ever seen and um, it was absolutely beautiful and then we had tapas so that would be it now we're going to go over to you because obviously you have a big moment of the weekend that you want to share of course i mean i so i went down to brighton this weekend uh, took part in the brighton half marathon which was absolutely incredible um, and thank you so much to those people who donated um raised quite a, a decent little sum for, for the alzheimer's society but on the route we actually saw quite a lot of women's football teams which i absolutely 
absolutely loved. And there was like a couple of old, my old school mates when I used to go to Leeds, a couple of the, the old Leeds football girls were there at the, the, the finish line. And I didn't even realise, they messaged me later on saying, mate, we saw you looking all hot, bothered, sweaty and, and quite disgusting at the end. Um, so that was probably my highlight of the weekend. Um, yeah, it was a good one. But also being able to, being able to catch the, the rain uh, on Friday and, and watching, you know, everyone in the stands sort of have a, have a small drowning moment in Marbella because I had just seen that, that photo of you and Soph pop up, you know, with the sunset looking very sort of, um, you know, very happy and, and gleeful. So, yeah, I'm not going not gonna to lie, I was very, very bitter. And that ended on Friday. And that was also a moment of the weekend for me. <laughs> right, let's get on to it then. England thrash Austria, absolutely dominating performance uh, in Mirador, beating them 7-2 after the disappointment of missing out on the Olympics in the last international break. I mean, this was an incredibly free-scoring game. I mean, so much so that obviously, I mean, Jess Carter got on the score sheet. And it wasn't just she got on the score sheet, she got on it in phenomenal fashion. It was the most beautiful back heel. I mean, she almost looked a bit embarrassed by the fact that she'd done it. I don't know whether she thought maybe initially she was offside, but I think it was just the glamour of the way that she scored that maybe sort of took her back a little bit she looked she's quite a modest player and I don't suppose moments like that happen to her very often uh, I'll be honest I initially thought she was offside <laughs> which I, I then thought from her reaction she was offside um yeah filthy little back heel um I'm, it was one of those like I'm not sure if it was going to go in if she hadn't done that like I don't feel like she massively changed the trajectory of the ball but I think it just put the goalkeeper off um because I think it came from a lot over my header didn't it um but yeah, it was just I think it was just seeing players coming on and impacting the game in the same way that the, the starters had. Mm-hmm. Overall, just not what I was expecting, I don't think. You know, I looked at that starting lineup and thought, Austria, hard team to break down. Yep. There's a lot of changes and people have been calling for changes and say, Serena never changes her teams. Well, bloody hell. <laughs> This is a very changed. Well, let's get into that because it it kind of feels like, you know, we have seen England struggle for goals in the past recently. So what do we think was so different in this game? Because to me, they came out, they had confidence, their press was working well. There were five different goal scorers and they were calm at the back dealing with the press that Austria, I mean, I don't think Austria's press was that effective anyway. It was kind of like a half-arse. But Hannah Hampton, again, very calm and collected, playing the through balls, kind of seeing the, you know, where the extra space was. Um, But yeah, what did you, what did you think was so effective for them this this game I feel like they were playing with a a weight off their shoulders Mm -hmm. you know they were playing a game that didn't really matter um things had kind of gone tits up around the (laughs) Olympic qualifying almost like it couldn't get not not that it couldn't get worse it's a bit dramatic but like it was almost like a refresh right new year new you hon um you know a new competition to be focusing on an opportunity to try new things to put to bed the sadness of the world cup the missing out of the Olympics I think there was a freshness about them and also a freedom with some of the younger players that maybe don't always start, Mm -hmm. that maybe they didn't feel that pressure because they've not necessarily been in those moments where they've they've missed out on a World Cup final. Do you know what I mean? So there was a bit like a, it's almost like their pressure was off a little bit. Um, It looked like they were enjoying themselves. Yeah. And they just looked tidier and some of the, you know, they weren't stressed about stuff. So simple things looked tidier and, and just better and gone back to basics a bit rather than you know when we're watching games with really high stakes and and the pressure's on and they're kind of you know miss missing passes and sending balls long and stuff like that I think the fact that there was no stakes on this game helped massively and they could just go out and enjoy themselves which they probably haven't been able to do for quite a while given every game has meant something and has had a lot of pressure on it. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, if you look back at the sort of history of the Lionesses since Serena's taken over, I mean, she's always had to work towards something super important. So for the past 18 months, really, like you said, every single game has been critical to gaining qualification or winning a tournament or, you know, trying to make history for the Lionesses. And you think, my God, the weight of that for such a sustained period of time is huge. And it felt like actually, it felt like Serena had probably gone into that game, had a team talk like as before they stepped out onto the pitch and been like, do you know what girls just go out there have fun enjoy yourself we're playing with a you know a little bit of a different setup loads of new players coming in looking to make their debuts looking to make a mark you know looking to make an impression for the Euros 2025 let's use this as sort of starting block one that bit of that reset and it was it was quite it was an enjoyable performance I mean Beth and you know Alessia together that the combination that they had I thought they were absolutely phenomenal kind of leading the line and sort of showing you know you had the experience of, of Beth Mead and obviously Alessia's incredible experience but still you know super young in herself and her journey into where she could be and I just thought you know watching that was was really amazing but I mean which 
new I mean there was obviously you know quite a few new lionesses sort of you know we had Grace Clinton in there Esme, Esme Morgan uh Myla Tizier getting getting their starts as well I mean we've got a, a question in from from Mary she said which one have you most been impressed by which of the new lionesses have you most been impressed by is it an obvious um, one well, I would say Grace Clinton, no. but I, I know we're going to come and no. talk. We're going to talk about her in a second, so I'm going to give a shout out to Myla Tizier. Okay, um, playing in a fullback role as well, which she has done in the past for Brighton. Has been playing central defence for Manchester United. I really like her in a fullback role. You know that kind of who's going to take over from Lucy Bronze question has been a tough one. You know we've struggled with left backs as well. I think that both sides have always been a bit of a concern with England in terms of either who's there now or who's going to be there and I just thought she looked really assured um you know she dominated she was you know defensively sound you know she she does go up the wing well but maybe not to the extent that Lucy Bronze does mm-hmm. um so I was quite impressed with her I really liked seeing her there and um she could be a really good alternative for for Lucy um but I obviously we can move on to Grace Clinton I thought she was excellent um there was a real she said she was nervous, which is understandable. Didn't see that at all. No, playing a slightly different role. But I feel like the nervousness fueled her. Like, she was quite dogged and determined. So, like, if she lost the ball, she turned around and she was after that player to get the ball back, which I love to see as opposed to a bit of a strop and a shoulders down and I've made a mistake. It was like, damn you, get back here. And I thought she did great and I think she she deserved her goal as well. So to get a goal on your debut is massive. must be pretty special. Well, I think it was it was almost a sign, really. She came on, she looked tenacious, she looked hungry, she looked like she really wanted to be there and the occasion, or the pressure of the occasion, you know, I know it's only a friendly, but still, like, she wants to make a good impression, she wants to impress Serena, she wants to impress her teammates and, you know, she's done so well in the WSL, you want to see that translate over into international football. And, like... Even from, it was minute 14. I mean, she hit the woodwork straight away. Incredible shot. Zinsberger had absolutely no chance. Sort of saw it hit the woodwork and kind of looked, she was, I think Zinsberger had resigned herself to the fact that it was in. Um, And then, yeah, in the 18th minute, yeah, four minutes later, she has this amazing sort of salmon-like leap in the box. This beautiful (laughs) header, amazing timing. And the ball has floated over the head of Toon and Russo. And it just felt like there was this like, you know, like she's hit the score sheet first goal for the Lionesses on her first game and you could tell how much it meant to her and the rest of the squad all the Lionesses kind of like crowded around her you thought it was like the winning goal of the Euros the way they celebrated mm-hmm. with her um, yeah and I mean she said it was probably the biggest game of her career so far and that she couldn't wait to see her mum and dad after the game which I thought was absolutely super cute and what a game for them to have attended I'm, I'm so glad they didn't miss their flight to Marbella um, Ella Toon's comments after the game were really striking she said Link up with Clinton felt so natural uh, and Viegman again uh, also said she plays like a natural um, I mean Rachel you must feel quite validated the way that she performed you've been one that's been calling for her you know inclusion in the squad for a while I mean do you feel like she's the kind of natural fit there and potentially even you know got her a, a starting place perhaps is that too far <sighs> Uh, maybe maybe a little but depend I suppose on the match and what the match calls for but I think what she's shown is that she can step into the team pretty seamlessly mm-hmm. and even though she was nervous that didn't really come across in her performance Um, you know bear in mind she's playing with Georgia Stanway who was playing in a deeper role what she kind of plays a bit more for Bayern Munich but not what we're used to seeing um, for England I thought she linked up well with Ella Toon um, and it just we saw that confidence and we've seen that confidence in the WSL and it was great to see that she could step into that senior role and out onto the pitch. And it didn't kind of dip that confidence or belief in herself didn't dip, which I think is really important because sometimes you see that when a younger player gets introduced into the senior squad. Um, and I guess it helped as well that it was a no stakes match. So the more minutes she gets in these moments, you know, the better she'll be when it does come to a high stakes match and she needs to step in. And I think she'll she'll do a great job there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the only kind of negative from the game, and Serena was kind of saying this in a press conference after, was that, you know, they still, they're still, even though it was a, you know, a very comprehensive win, there was still a couple of things that she wasn't too happy about and needed to tweak. And a lot of those were sort of the vulnerability, I suppose, from set pieces. I mean, conceding sort of two 
very identical goals from the same goal scorer. And I've got to say, like, the first goal in the 30th minute, Kurt from Kirkberger, which is the header from, from the corner, it looked like she was Clinton's marker. Um, that's the only thing I would say. So I, th- I suppose you, you cannot falter in the attack, absolutely. But I suppose maybe there's just a little bit of work, a little bit of retweak in there to be doing on, on sort of defensive set pieces for the whole squad, definitely. Um, but yeah, that was that would be the only thing that I'd say. Maybe that's some an area to work on, but she's still so young. You mean, it's, you really can't find fault with what she did. Um, we've got a question from David on X. He said, wishful thinking on my part, but do you think Spurs have any chance of signing Grace Clinton permanently? That is very, very wishful thinking, uh, especially now the cat is well and truly out of the bag with a debut goal at international level. So what do we think? I don't think that's wishful thinking. It, you don't think it's wishful thinking? No, why not? I think they have as good a chance as any. I mean, You're she's enjoying herself there. She's been given the freedom to play and the, the confidence to play and the manager has given her the confidence to step in and to play. My fear would be if she ended up back at Man United, she'd be on the bench. Um, you know, So she's an influential player in that Spurs team and it's that that has gotten her into the England team. I... So I don't think it's too far outside the realms of possibility. If I was part of the Man United setup, and obviously it's quite, it's been quite interesting actually this week because obviously we've just heard the news that Polly Bancroft is leaving her post as head of women and girls football and she's done a great job at, at the club. Um, but if I was the Man United or part of the Man United setup, I'd be thinking as soon as that summer window hits, I am bringing Grace back. She is getting into the squad. I am not giving Spurs the competitive advantage. I mean, Clinton signed with Man United until July 2025. Yes, absolutely. She will 100% want to get minutes and she's getting that consistently at Spurs. But I think the performances that she's put in for Spurs and also now at international level, if she continues to do this, I'd be thinking all day, start getting her those starts back at Man United to get in with, you know, the likes of Paris and Jay-Z. I mean, she would be, that could be the turnaround that Man United need for next season. Just saying. It could absolutely could be. It's just the kind of how good United are at, holding on to players, etc. recognising <laughs> players they should be playing. Our track record has been great. Track, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. would agree with that, yes. Um, another one to start this uh, this weekend, Hannah Hampton. Um, sort of, I found it rather surprising that she didn't start for Kiara Keaton. But at the same time, I think you have to appreciate that Hannah has been at international level for quite a long time now really given her age it, it, it seems surprising but she might be the considered sort of natural second choice given the England experience that she's had and now she's sort of back in the fold after that brief spell of being out where it looked as if there was sort of some kind of tension between her and Serena at, at some point but I think it'll be quite interesting to see if she starts the second game what I did find really odd actually was sort of the camera panned over to the bench and seeing Mary Earp sitting there in a bib it's not something I don't think I've seen in a very long time <laughs> And I just found it really unnerving and quite bizarre. I sort of, I did a double take. Um, but yeah, were you kind of surprised to see Hampton? Were you expecting Kiara Keaton after the fantastic performances she's had in the WSL? No, not really. That's not a surprise. I think currently Hannah Hampton is number two. I think Serena Vigman wants to nail down that number two as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wasn't surprised. You know, Hannah Hampton's been playing. She's been playing for Chelsea. They're both playing for top clubs. So, you know, maybe we will see Kiara Keating against Italy. I would love to see her against Italy. Um, but I think the fact that she's in and amongst the squad and, and training and everything, and I feel like cemented her place as a third choice keeper. That's the big thing for me. I really hope she does start. I've kind of pegged her out to kind of have her first international start and it feels like the right fit. It's it's a game that, again, it doesn't matter. There's no pressure. I think she deserves to start based on how incredible her season's been with with Man City. Um, And it would be an historic one for the Lionesses. She would be the first mixed-race black goalkeeper to have ever started for the Lionesses. And that in itself would be a really beautiful moment. Pretty cool, yeah. I think as well, it, it, it depends on what the match calls for, you know, Austria, we're always going to play a bit deeper. Italy are going to press higher. Is Chiara a better fit for that kind of match Mm -hmm. where they're going to be playing out from the back more? You know, and I'm sure all of that comes into it as well. 
Well, we'll wait and see. It's not long now left left to wait. But um, yeah, fingers crossed for you, Kiara. Hoping you hoping you get your minutes in. Even if you do a half, that'd be great. Um, talking of sort of the combinations of the kind of mix around, we did see a lot of rotation from Serena. I mean, it was quite nice, I think, to kind of see that at every single step, like the goalkeeper, defence, midfield and up top, there were new people sort of embedded in every line. Um, but which combination, I suppose, got you the sort of most excited on Friday? Which did you think, OK, I can see this kind of developing into something very special here? Well, it's not so much developed, like it's there. Beth and, Beth and Alessia, mm. it's there. But I think firming it up a bit more with Alessia starting, um, you know, the fact that they play with each other at club is really beneficial as well. And I think we're, we're starting to see that. And it's maybe something that's lacked a little bit. You know, having Beth Mead back in the squad as well is, is really important. Um, and I think that's an area that England have been lacking over the last few windows is goal scoring. Mm-hmm. So seeing that, that link up was really exciting. Um, I thought they looked great. They looked like they've been playing together at club as well, which I think is, is important. I'm surprised Beth played the full 90 minutes, mm-hmm. to be totally honest. Um, I did think she'd she'd come off. Maybe she won't play the full game tonight, but we'll see. But I think that was probably the most exciting. It's really interesting now that Russo and Mead are like the, the mature heads in the squad and Beth Mead was like the oldest on the pitch, or the, as she said, like the most mature or the you know player on the pitch, um, which is just a really weird one to wrap your head around. Well, you kind of saw the impact of their partnership really early on. I mean, the, you know, within three minutes, they got the opener. So Russo, that I mean, that fantastic hold-up play sort of in the midfield section and then sort of playing out to Beth on the wing, whipped in that ball... Unfortunately, sort of another, I mean, I've got to be quite critical again, the Zinsberger era, it was sort of a fairly easy pickup, uh, sort of slipped underneath her. I understand, obviously, it's a bit of a wet day, but still you'd expect to be doing a little bit better, which isn't great coming off the back of the sort of West Ham game where sort of a big error then sort of cost them the points. Uh, and then Russo following up, and it just felt like a really great template, I suppose. I too am sort of interested to see how that sort of, um, you know, continues to will keep growing, basically. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. But this international break is really about the youngsters. Uh, Serena brought in several of the under-23s into senior training on Sunday, including Naomi, Lazelle, Jess Naz, Laura Blinkilda-Brown and Aggie Beaver-Jones, who also made it onto the bench on Friday. Now, I was slightly gutted not to see her get some get some minutes, to be honest, at least at the end, you know, five minutes. Um, Rach, obviously, you've been in Marbella watching the under-23s. They lost against uh, Spain 3-1 on Thursday and then drew 1-1 with the Netherlands. Um, yeah, what have you made of their performances so far being out there being able to see it live and see what's what's been going on in their camp I thought they were really unlucky against the Netherlands uh yesterday not to win it um they deserve to win it they should have scored more goals um but I'll start with the Spain game I think first 30 minutes or so I thought they're pretty dominant and I thought mm. they deserved to be ahead and I thought they deserved to have scored a couple of goals but they conceded quite like quite near the halftime whistle um, and went in 1-1 um there was some good 
you know, connections, but I felt like there was some players, I guess, maybe who aren't getting regular minutes. You know, Ruby, Ruby May started, I thought, started really well. But as the game went on, I felt like that dipped a little bit. And I think some of the substitutions as well, I think we've we've become accustomed to now in the WSL, when substitutions are made, the, the level doesn't really dip. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was a little bit of a, a dip there. You know, they probably don't play together that often. Um, some of them might not be getting as many minutes as others. Um, and I think Spain were able to kind of put their foot down and, and you know, dominate that second half um, to win it. But the second game, I thought they were much better. They was, this time started slower, really grew into the game, deservedly went ahead, should have scored more goals. They had a couple of opportunities to score more goals. I, th- I thought the Dutch keeper had a really good game. Um, and I think... There was a little bit of naivety at the end of the match where we got to kind of the 88th minute and they were trying to like kill time and play the ball into the corner. And we'd had two kind of significant injuries during the game. So you knew there was going to be a good bit of stoppage time. So to be trying to do that with potentially seven, eight minutes left was a little bit naive. And the Dutch then went and got the equaliser in injury time. And you could tell that was a real sucker punch. Um but, you know, look, there were some players in there that are really exciting. It's a really good in-between team between going from kind of your under-19s into the seniors. And I think there are some players that will benefit so much from this to step into the seniors. I think the, the senior team came, a lot of them came to the first one, a good few came to the second. And maybe that arrival of the senior team maybe coincided with the the dip in form, perhaps. And maybe they got a little bit nervous. Um, but no, it was great to see them play. And there's definitely a few that I'm excited about. I think it's really interesting to get your perspective on it because obviously you were there and you can kind of see a lot of, you know, the, the really positive points to take away from the games. Whereas a lot of people, I think, are probably seeing the headlines that, you know, we've lost 3-1 to Spain, we've got the draw against the Netherlands, you know, in, in a sort of tournament setting, I suppose, that have only picked up one point from, from two games. But, you know, based on those under-23 matches this week, are England falling behind Spain for young talent coming through? We had that question in from Jenny. No, I don't, I don't wouldn't make take that away from it. I wouldn't look at that and say we're falling behind. I mean, the under-23s is like, is an in-between, mm-hmm. it's a stopgap be- between, you know, your under-19s and getting into the senior team. It's a really valuable squad to have to help you bridge that gap. You have to remember that, like, we don't wait until players are 23 before they go up to the senior squad. So there's players in the senior squad now that could be playing for the under-23s. You've got Hemp, James, Clinton, Keating, Park, you know, you put all of them back into the under-23 squad and suddenly you're like, bloody hell. Do you know what I mean? So you kind of have to factor that in. Um, It's about like the the spread of kind of the quality across the age groups. Some countries maybe are better at it. Some countries don't need to bring up or don't have as many under-23s that need to come up because they've got so many seniors that are such high quality. You know, I think everyone's in a different stage of their journey. And yeah, I wouldn't make any kind of sweeping claims that this means England are falling behind. No, I wouldn't be too worried. I mean, Spain are dominating in every age group, um, which is understandable. But, you know, I, that, yeah, if you look at the scoreline, 3-1 doesn't look great, but actually I don't think it was super dominant by Spain where they just swept England aside. I wouldn't have put it So I think way. based on the kind of performances that you've seen so far, I mean, who do you think are the, the England stars, the rising stars that listeners should keep an eye out for sort of next year and, and going into Euro 2025? Which ones do you kind of see are getting their, you know, big starts or getting their sort of, you know, big call-ups next year or, or this year even? I thought Aggie Beaver-Jones was superb. She was one of the best players on the pitch in both matches. Um not just what she does on the ball, but like her communication and, and how she kind of conducts people and, and all that kind of thing and where to stand and to come up higher and to come with her in the press. And um, she really stood out for me and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw her in the senior setup soon enough. You know, she's only coming on at the moment at Chelsea as a substitute. That might change with me official being injured. She might get more minutes. Um, but you see what she does with the few minutes that she has at Chelsea. She scores bloody goals. So um, she's been brilliant. Uh, Ruby Mace looked good I'd really like to see her get more minutes at club that's the only thing because if she can play like that when she's not getting minutes you know imagine how she's going to be when she is um, Ella Morris has been good as well another fullback role so I was say, what about that. Jess Naz my mate Jess Naz how's she getting on <laughs> she was better in the second game I thought um, she, was, she, she was good as well I thought she linked up well with uh, Aggie I think Maybe the first game, she took a little while to get into it. I thought Spain maybe bullied her a little bit off the ball, which I thought she had improved massively at Spurs. Mm -hmm. I felt like physically wise, she'd gotten almost looked like a senior player now. Do you know what I mean? Rather than kind of coming off the bench, she was starting games and, you know, she was able to 
physically get defenders off her and stuff like that. And I thought that was a, a shift in her her style of play because she's always had the footwork and that kind of thing. So I thought that was a real improvement in, in the WSL. And I maybe in the first game, she just looked a little bit off it that she was getting knocked off the ball quite easily. But in the second game, she was much better and she was causing the Dutch defence all sorts of problems with her pace and um, linking up, as I said, linking up well with um, ABJ. So another one. I mean, there's so many. I think, um, I mean, I've got to agree with you there, but I think uh, the fact that ABJ has now sort of moved into even sort of getting that bench start, if you want, uh, for the first time against Austria, I can kind of see her, that feels like um, Serena getting her that experience of, you know, being in and around the setup, you know, fully being in and around the setup whilst there's, you know, a, a competitive game going on. And I reckon that she'll probably get her first minutes in that Italy game. Um, and I think she deserves it. I think she's been absolutely incredible for Chelsea when she's come on. I think, um, and I think a lot of fans kind of just want to see her get those minutes. It. You have to bear in mind, though, as well, is that, you know, Fran and Chloe, Fran Kirby and Chloe Kelly weren't available for that first game, mm-hmm. which also would have helped facilitate bringing an under-23 up. Um, Fran Kirby's gone home, but Chloe Kelly should be OK for the Italy game. So whether that impacts someone st- starting on the bench from the under-23s, I don't know. But just want to keep an eye on. I don't think it's, I don't think if she doesn't, get a bench start it's not because she hasn't performed you know what I mean yeah of course um I mean do you think we're now sort of seeing the beginnings of Serena's next revamped England team she's kind of we've had the era of the Euros of the of the the World Cup we're sort of stepping into a, a new age of you know heading towards the Euros in 2025 we've got what 18 months until till that tournament starts um I mean Jess Park came on as a sub on Friday while Myla Tizier and Esme Morgan started in the back four um I mean she was incredible I thought she was just as tenacious as we, if we've seen her in previous performances with with Man City I mean she was just it was a bit sort of um Grace Clinton-esque it felt like she just wanted to be involved she was so enthusiastic and so energetic um and but do you think that we're sort of seeing this kind of you know as 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 I suppose we saw the Serena take the the lionesses from how they were sort of in the Steph Horton era into the kind of Leah Williamson era we sort of we lost Jill Scott we lost um Ellen White but yeah does it feel like that's where we're sort of heading to seeing that next gen to a degree, mm-hmm. I think she's utilising these rare friendlies to see some fresh faces and give them minutes, which I think is really important. And I think it's often too often forgotten that it's just been major tournament after major tournament and then a Nations League, which is something you have to win to get Olympic qualifiers. Like, there's been very little time for that rotation. And, you know, to see that now is really important because what you touched on there, depth, that's what England need to get. That's what we had at the Euros, where your players come on and nothing changed in terms of intensity uh, and quality. And they need to ensure they ha- they can maintain that in every position. And I think getting minutes is really important. Getting some new faces in that we know can back up your Millie Brights, your Lucy Bronze, your Kira Walshes. They're the kind of areas that maybe in the past we've thought, if Kira Walsh gets injured, what the hell do we do? If Lucy Bronze gets injured, what are we going to do? You know. So I think seeing those faces in now and seeing them perform well, is key um, and hopefully then you start to see them as regular faces because you need to be able to trust the players you're putting in and if they're not getting minutes you don't know that in a certain situation that they're going to be able to deliver so I think yeah seeing them now in these friendlies is key well do you think it was a bit of a stroke of genius I mean it was you know Wiegmann who sort of revived the under 23 setup when she came in as England manager sort of like you said right he's kind of bridging the gap between the under 19s and the senior squad making sure that it's not such a massive transition when they do eventually make that step into senior life but you sort of look at the fact that it it is a bit of a contingency or a sort of plan B when you know players in the sort of senior squad are injured or something you know untoward happens but, I mean, do you think that's, you know, what, what do you see the sort of under-23s role being? Because like you said, it's a bit of a weird one because you could have so many of the senior squad in the under-23s and they could be absolutely smashing it. So um, it's it's so valuable. Um, you know, even just talking to the likes of Hannah um, Zilcock after the game and she said how valuable it is just even being in and around the senior squad, like players that you see on TV, n- now you're like in a hotel with them or you're you're you know, at a training with them and they're just other players, they're just people. And I think it kind of takes the edge off that kind of the the senior squad, if you like, and, and making that big leap. And of course, you're going to be nervous if and when that happens. But I think being in and around the squad kind of takes away some of that. You know, some of the players, you can chat to them, they'll, they'll take you in, they know what to expect from you in a camp. I think the under 23s has been crucial to, yes, we've got players that are young enough in the seniors, 
but it needs to not be a massive leap. And I think having that that stepping stone of the under 23s in between, A, it helps. I think it raises the levels of, of play, the quality, because you're going to have players in there who are probably starting in WSL clubs or championship clubs. So it can raise the level another bit, if you like, compared to, say, the under 19s. And then when you get into that senior setup, it doesn't feel like such a massive jump. So, yeah, I think it's it's invaluable. Well, off the pitch this week, the FA made a huge step. Uh, it has now made women's health training mandatory for the WSL and championship clubs, becoming the first national governing body to do so. Um, so basically, they're mandating training on female health, uh, sort of working in partnership with the Well HQ, who are specialists in delivering female health strategies across sports uh, and clubs uh, in the, the women's professional game. Um, so now the sort of the clubs are going to receive these sort of new courses, best practices, practices, guidelines on things like uh, pregnancy, the menstrual cycle, uh, kit, fertility, uh, pre and postnatal health, pelvic health, injury risk and nutrition, um, which is great, obviously, it being sort of across the two leagues, you know, you normally find with things like this, that it is something that's just rolled out on the WSL. Um, so yeah, this will basically mean that, you know, the clubs are going to get better support. And it kind of feels like a bit of a, a proactive thing to be doing. Um and obviously it was only last week, you know, Leah Williamson out of the England squad with the sort of, you know, still ongoing um, injury niggles. Mia Fischel, again, another confirmed ACL last week. Uh, that's Jamie a- Finn. Jamie Finn. Um, yeah, so it kind of feels like we're, we keep receiving these really high profile injury news but this feels like a really proactive step into saying okay well we are still trying to figure out the research we're still trying to get the data we're still trying to understand what it is that's sort of causing and impacting or contributing to these injuries but let's actually dedicate someone in the club so they've got to have a dedicated specialist who will you know go and do the well hq training and deliver this training to players but it's also it feels like um I don't know, that the players then have somewhere that they can go and, or someone they can go and speak to about their health concerns. Um, I mean, Rach, what have you made of the kind of news? How do you see it? You're right, it is proactive, but it also feels like an absolute no-brainer. Um, and it, it kind of makes you realise where we are with women's sport that things like this are quite groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You, you, would, you would think in any industry where you're specializing in something, you'd need to know your subject really, really, really well. And you'd want to know your subject really well. And you'd want all the research, you know, around your subject. And and I think we've talked about it before that something like 90% of sports studies are done on male athletes, you know, so having this is massive because you need to know everything. And subject is such a kind of cold word, but realistically you need to know everything about them you need to understand menstrual cycle how it impacts the body everything and it makes so much sense um so hopefully and this is the other thing is you have to kind of factor in this stuff isn't going to change things overnight either mm. these studies and these projects and these these trainings and stuff like that it takes a while but the fact that it's being invested in and ideally you know turning the way we approach women's sport and getting it to face the right direction a little bit uh, is massive so it's really exciting and and we know dr emma ross from the well hq i spoke to her for our acl episode so um feels like they're in good hands yeah absolutely i think um it's quite interesting i suppose because you're starting to see we you know we're literally just talking about the under 23s the under 19s these young players getting into you know playing you know at club level regularly and also now playing at international level from you know a really young age and it feels like you know this is the kind of precedent this is the kind of status quo for them they will be stepping into this year knowing that that is kind of the the baseline for them whereas even if you look you know two three years ago four years ago when I was still playing you know one we didn't even have maternity rights in um in in our contracts at all and now sort of four years later we've got maternity rights covered in the training in in the contracts but also we're now being given a dedicated person to say okay well these are what your rights are these are how we're going to approach you know your pregnancy this is when you should stop training this is how we sort of tailor you off into your into birth and this is how we we cope with things afterwards and you know support you in the best way that we can so it feels like you know even little things like that enable players to be able to you know really look proactively at how they plan for families or you know what right and knowing that they had that security of kind of you know knowing what to do if they want to do that in the future so I think it's nice now to kind of that we're sort of getting into this stage where yeah the older players will you know obviously take this on board but the younger players will see this as the new 
normal which i think is is absolutely amazing so yeah, yeah. but like you said i think it's one of those things it's, it's change is not going to happen overnight we're going to 100 have to wait and see sort of how this pans out and and i think it's going to be one of those things that will probably need to be developed there'll be other things that players will come up with hopefully that say actually we need some more support in this area or but i think that will grow so yeah i'm going to take that as a positive i think you've got to take the positives when when they come and sometimes they don't come very often in women's football so (laughs) congratulations fa and well hq Uh, very interesting to see how this all pans out Right, let's move on to the Nations League. Spain have secured qualification for the Olympics for the first time in their history. They beat the Netherlands in the semi-finals of the Nations League in Seville on Friday night. Uh, France beat Germany in the other semi-final, guaranteeing Spain their place because as hosts, France are already in the final 12 teams competing this summer. Um... I mean, Rach, what are your thoughts on Spain becoming the new heavyweight champions of the world? Um, If Spain win this Olympics this year, do we think we're looking at a kind of USA type dominance for them? Uh, No, I don't think we're going to have... (laughs) Like, I don't think we're going to have another team that will be as dominant as the US was. Ever. For 20 years, the US was the most dominant team. Um, I think, obviously... Spain are favourites. Obviously, they're the best team in the world. But I think it's a different era of of women's sport. I think the growth and the levels that other national teams are growing and improving makes it very hard for any team to completely, I think, dominate absolutely everything, you know, and and be unbeaten. You know, Spain have been beaten um, in the last year a couple of times. I think Italy beat them. You know, like, it's. I think with the USA... (laughs) They're so bloody hard to beat. Um, and Spain are hard to beat, but I just think, I don't want this to sound like I'm saying Spain aren't good because obviously Spain are in- incredible, one of the best teams we've ever seen. But I just think the ability to be dominant for 20 years um, is is just going to be even harder now. Um, but do you not think I the counter-argument you know, to that is like you look at the strength of their squad, you look at the fact they've got, you know, Hermoso, bon, bon Matti, they've got... But on a budget, they've got this, you know, Catacol, they've got this incredible, incredible squad. And not only that, they've got this incredible squad of under 23s as well. So that to me suggests that there's there's some longevity in their success. They're not just looking at their senior squad and going, Do you know, what? we've absolutely nailed that. The under 23s are absolutely bossing it as well. That, that to me suggests that there's at least sort of a three, four year reign of dominance kind of on the horizon if they get the next couple of years sorted. Um, oh sure but three four years isn't the same as the US level of dominance it's like a, it's like a, <laughs> so, like, a mini dominance it's quite different like, a mini dominance sure I mean they are dominating across the age levels I said that earlier but I think the US were kind of this unbeatable monster for 20 years you know for a long 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 time um, and I, I think yes Spain will dominate and be in many finals and win many tournaments but I don't think they're going to have that same un- like just being unbeatable you know, that kind of way. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of people in my mentions thinking that I'm saying Spain are good, which really isn't the That case. is not what Rachel has said. I think comparing it to the dominance of the US national team, it's it's a very hard feat to replicate. It's I a think. big bar. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I do think Spain are going to be a very, very dominant force for, for quite a while. Well, obviously, I mean, the team have come off the back of quite a lot of adversity in the last year with everything that happened with Rubiales. Uh, the Spain manager, obviously, sort of, you know, after the, the game against the, the Netherlands, was saying, you know, she took charge in a very difficult moment. Uh, nobody wanted. Uh, we took a step forward. We're proud of the work that we've done. This team deserves to play at an Olympic Games. And after all the prior generations who fought for it and came up short. So maybe this is their, their moment in the sun era coming up. Maybe not as long as the US but definitely an era of some length of dominance. Is that mm, fair? Okay. <laughs> I think dominant, fair. I think saying they're going to be the next US team is too high. It's just not, maybe. Yeah, All right. Well, there's been lots of controversy around Alexia Piteris being called up by Spain after Barcelona said she wouldn't be fit uh, before the international break. Uh, the last time she played in Liga F was mid-November after she felt some pain in her knee at the start of the season. Um, I mean, Barcelona have been quite cautious since then. Uh, and at the end of December, she underwent keyhole surgery to find out what was going on. Um, and the club have now claimed that she's gone on international duty without being cleared to do so by the club's doctors. I mean, this is obviously going to create quite a lot of tension between club and country. She's clearly not at full fitness yet. And it seems a little bit wild to be then taking a player who clearly isn't sort of back to normality yet into such a sort of strenuous 
time. Um, but, but they don't need her. And it, and it's that. It kind of feels a bit... She's not surplus to requirements, but at the moment, you know, she can she can be afforded that grace period while she sort of, you know, really gets back to full fitness because the squad are doing so well. I'd, I'd like to hear more on it because, you know, it seems very strange to to go against your club's recommendations, um, particularly given, like we say, Spain didn't necessarily have to have her to in order to win the games. Um, you know, maybe she went to be part of the squad, to be integrated back into the squad for her leadership, but also then the team is full of leaders as well. So it's an interesting one. I think we're seeing a bit of that with some players. Like you look at Viv Miedema, who clearly wasn't fit ahead of that Manchester United game for Arsenal. She... There was footage going around of her limping into the stadium before the match. She didn't warm up. And then for some reason, she still came on at the end of the game, which I just thought was absolutely bizarre when they were 3-0 up. She goes to the Netherlands, which I'm surprised at. Because I, I remember at the Man City game, they said it was a bit of a knee irritation. So I assumed she was going to have a bit of a break, but apparently not. And they play her for the first half. And there's footage after the second Spain goal in the highlights of Miedema. And she's quite clearly not walking comfortably on the pitch. So I just, I can't really understand, you know, we talk about, it's one thing overloading fit players. Like, it's a whole other thing to be taking risks on players who aren't fully fit and are coming back from major injuries. So, you know, like I said, I don't know the ins and outs of Pateas. Maybe she went and, and was in camp and kind of in and around the players, whatever. But the idea of kind of taking risks on players coming back from injury just seems totally unnecessary. I think it's that I can kind of understand it from a maybe team morale or, you know, to try and sort of bolster the team. She's obviously a big presence. You know, she's been in and around the setup for such a long period of time. You've got a lot of youngsters in the squad who are coming up. They might need that kind of, you know, experience, support, you know, shoulder to kind of lean on throughout sort of these big tournament moments. But also the whole benefit of having this sort of international not bre- or they could be used as an international break essentially where she does sort of get that respite where she does you know get that time to have a rehab so that she can come back to things properly and give herself the best possible chance of you know playing in the olympics uh, and also you know to look at the longer term and going into the euros in 2025 so i think it feels very short term vision um for from spain to to be able to do that unless they're sort of you know going forwards just going to use her as sort of like a um yeah, like a friendly figure around camp and not. But also, they've so much quality. Are you going to, not waste is the wrong word, but are you going to call up a player who's just not going to play at all? I, I don't know. That's just an interesting one. I think we've sort of alluded to it a bit now that it kind of feels like the Spain team almost has been able to move on without her. I mean, Bon Matty obviously had an incredible World Cup, you know, pits up the Ballon d'Or, you know. She has sort of put herself in Puteas's place and I hope that doesn't sound too savage but I mean she's absolutely absolutely nailing it so you kind of think well you know Pateas I think was sort of heralded as the kind of talisman of the Spanish squad but I think now that the ACL injury almost sort of gave more spotlight to actually the fact that Spain was already full of this incredible talent and it wasn't just her sort of you know being the the shining spotlight of the team it was everyone else on the pitch as well um yeah sure but I mean you look at I mean, England got to a World Cup final without Lee Williamson and Beth Mead. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they're not incredibly valuable and necessary in the team. Of course. Um, it has allowed, and it's like that, yeah, it's, I wouldn't say allowed others to shine. I think the, at the timing at which her she did her ACL, like Spain's was growing and, and the kind of eyes on Spain had been growing. Do you know what I mean? So I think that continued to grow after she got injured. Um, it's always going to be, different for players we've talked about this coming back from ACL no one's gonna come back to their absolute best I think Beth Mead currently is a bit of an anomaly um, but it is going to be very different for different players and I think when you're someone like Alexia Pateas who has set the bar as being the world's best player you know winning the awards that's a long way to get back up to that and it just takes time I think the fact that she's come back from an ACL injury and she's back in the best squad in the world and back in the national team is pretty incredible um, so yeah I just I'd, I'd, I'd give her time give her a break yeah I mean she deserves time um, I mean this all comes at a time when her uh, Barcelona talks uh, the contract talks still haven't been settled um, she sort of wants a three year contract extension and Barcelona are kind of pegging themselves to a two year extension so we'll kind of see how those contract negotiations pan out um, the inaugural final of the Nations League will be between Spain and France on Wednesday Rach who are you back in? Spain 
<laughs> that was so easy. That was absolutely so easy. Uh, and I've got to agree. I, you know, that's not any kind of, you know, disrespect to France at all. But Spain, I mean, just look at the lineup, to be honest. It's just, it's stellar. I think they're in different places in their journey as well. You know, I think France have been going through this shift with the new manager and stuff like that. So you have to factor in that they're in different places in their journey. Um, you know, I I don't think, I'm probably going to jinx it now, but I don't think it's going to be like five, six, seven nil. No. I think it'll be a really, really competitive game. But I do think Spain are going to edge it. Do I peg you to a score prediction? Three, two. I'm going to go two, one. We will put a pint of, what are we having? What do we have in the US? Not the US, the Australia. What do we have? What was that? Not a pint. No. Not, our tipple of choice was wine. <laughs> it was, and too much of it. All right, a glass of wine the next time I see you. When you're back from Marbs enjoying your absolute The next best time life. I see you at 9am on Tuesday. Lovely. Yes. <laughs> Right, thank you so much for listening. Uh, where are we this weekend, Rach? Where, when are you coming back? When are you coming back home? I'm doing the Nations League final tomorrow and then I think I've got West Ham and United on Sunday, I want to say. Oh, nice. I need to take off my international break hat and put on the WSL one. Well, I'm, I mean, because I'm off at the moment doing a course. Um, yeah, I'm not sort of... I don't have to sort of go to the games and sort of follow the games as much as I was sort of doing before so i think i actually get time to like actually go down to see a game which would be quite nice but i think i might actually see on west ham west ham man united because given what okay. west ham did with arsenal i kind of feel like it's um nothing nothing could be guaranteed this year um yeah, maybe I'll see you on Sunday for that pint of wine when I get my score predictions right. Um, in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram and X. Uh, I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rachel is at Girls on the Ball and we are at Upfront underscore pod. You can also find us on YouTube at Upfront pod. See you next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.